Welcome to Spirits Podcast, episode 67, Mayan Creation Story. Yeah, boy. I know. People have been asking for the uh, Central America and South American myths. Yeah, probably more than any other. I want to come through for y'all. Yes. I want to come through. I'm very, very excited uh, to, to share this with you guys. But you know what, Jules? I'm also excited to just give some shine to the people who help us make this show happen every single week. Yeah. So thank you so much to our supporting producer-level patrons, to Neil, Philip, Julie, Sarah, Christina, Josh, Eeyore, Maria, Cammy, Lindsay, Ryan, Shelby, Lynn, Mercedes, Phil, Catherine, and Deborah. Y'all are great. We would totally let you see things. Is That's a... You'll, you'll understand. You'll understand. Uh, and <laughs> I feel like every time I do that, it's a really, really vague one. And then I just have to be like, you'll understand. You'll get it. It's like the Harry Potter chapter titles where uh, the the chapter title almost always in a little sketch. You see it and you're like, I don't know what that means. And then at the end of the chapter, prose, flip back to the beginning of the chapter and you look at it and you're like, ah, oh, that's what you're they like, meant. Aha, that, that does make sense. The boy who lived. Now I know who the boy who lived is. That's the troll. Mm-hmm. That's the snitch. Mm-hmm. That's the veil. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> You know, no spoilers been, for Mike. If you haven't been listening to Potterless podcast, Julia was on recently to discuss Order of the Phoenix. And like, honestly, Julia, I, I know now how people feel when they listen to Spirits. I'm just like, damn, she's so smart. Damn, Aww. that's a good reference. Like, oh my, like, honestly, I love that book a lot. And it made me see things that I haven't seen before. And I love your appearances on our podcasts and others. Oh, I'm super flattered. I'm legit brushed and blushing. You can legit see it. She is. And she has a very cute uh, bee printed collared shirt on. And I wore it because it's your birthday while we're recording this. Hey. <laughs> and you love the bees. You know who else loves bees? Or you know who else I love as much as I love bees? Uh, our legend level patrons. Our legend level patrons. Sandra, Ashley Marie, Buggy, Leanne, Ashley, Shannon, and Cassie. Y'all are great. We hope that you find all of the cute bee pattern things that you want. And to look out for your next box of physical stuff, which is coming to you very shortly. And finally, before we get to the excellent episode this week, we would love to thank our sponsor, RX Bar. This is really awesome, like no-nonsense energy bar. They have exactly what's in it printed on the packaging. They're delish. They're good to have on the go. I have them in my bag all the time because mm-hmm. between day job, the podcasts, social life, you know, going to museums, like doing things in the city, you sometimes just need a snack on the subway. Yeah, and, and a uh, delicious and healthy snack at that. Exactly. So if you go to rxbar.com slash spirits, you can enter the promo code spirits at checkout for 25% off. Stock up for yourself, for your soccer team, for your roller derby league. What else? I, I want to know all of your roller derby names now. Oh my gosh, please. Tell us. Tell us. Julie, what would your roller derby name be? It would be Carnage San Diego. Oh my God. I think mine would be Hardy Boy with an I. Is that a wrestling joke? <laughs> the Hardy Boys. Yeah, the Hardy Boys. No, Julia, oh, okay. the Nancy Drew uh, alternate lesser inferior one. There's also there's also a wrestling tag team, which are two brothers, and they're called the Hardy Boys with a Z at the end. No, I would, I would be the Hardy Boy with an I. Okay. Adorable. Anyway, without any more distractions, enjoy Spirits Podcast Episode 67, Mayan Creation Story. So Amanda, we've gotten a lot of requests for some Central and South American myths. Yes. And I I should preface this with, I've mentioned it a couple times on our live streams and our Instagram live stories and that sort of thing. But I've never totally felt comfortable kind of leading a episode on that just because I understand that you and I as as white folks probably shouldn't be talking about that because of just the history of uh, colonialism and 
just shittiness that white white people did narratives Mm -hmm. erasing native narratives especially you know cultures that are living and evolving and you know dynamic yeah absolutely um and in this situation though i was looking up different sources and stuff like that and found a source that is a legitimate source from the mayan people Hmm. and i thought okay i feel i did a lot of research and I, i felt comfortable enough that i figured hey Amanda, why don't I tell you the creation story of the Mayan people? I love that so much. I can't wait. And I would also like to extend the invitation to listeners to send us recommendations for scholars, for friends, for relatives, people you know that talk about Central and South American myths. Mm -hmm. Um, It can be someone's aunt. It can be, you know, a a professor you have. It can be you if you grew up um, in a a culture that has something to do with this. Uh, But we would always uh, love to talk to people who have firsthand experience. Maybe we can do a voicemail episode on that or something yeah like that. That send us voicemails yeah if you, are, if you are native if you are central or south american indigenous to, to any place we would love to kind of group um you know voicemails together to have you teach us yes and that would be dope because we do have so much to learn we do we, we do that's portray, why we do this we portray ourselves as quote-unquote experts or at least i do yeah. but um <laughs> i have so much to learn still so yeah you're we are experts at learning and we love to invite you to learn along with us but you know we are not always the people that should be talking yeah that's true. That being said, I'm going to talk about it for a little bit and people can correct me. I am open to the idea that I don't know everything about this topic, but I think it's really interesting and I figured a, a brief introduction is in order. Let's do it. All right. The story of the creation of the world for the Mayan people is told by the Popo Vuh. This is a cultural narrative that recounts the mythology and history of the Kichi people, which is one of the indigenous peoples that made up the Mayan civilization. Mm-hmm. Uh, So this group is from what is now modern-day Guatemala. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, So their name actually means many trees, which I think is kind of Hmm. beautiful. Yeah, quite forested, I assume. Yes. And uh, that's also just like that idea of like, you know, tribe of people, group of people as like a like close knit cluster of trees. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's sweet. Yeah, and when you uh, when you get to a certain part in this uh, creation myth, you'll kind of see why that that is Ooh. sort of an inspiration. Motifs, um, yes, my favorite motifs. Mm-mm-mm. So the Popovu was written before the Spanish conquest of Guatemala and was originally preserved through oral tradition and was first officially written down in 1550. Cool. Uh, The name means Book of Community or Book of the People, uh, and it is an extremely important cultural document since early accounts of Mesoamerican mythologies were not preserved or either were purged by the Spanish conquistadors. Yes, part of colonialism is uh, erasing and delegitimizing local culture to make the culture of the conqueror um, the only like state-sanctioned one available. Yeah, so in my notes it says, so mm, fuck those dudes. Fuck those dudes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but I want to specify that, like a lot of texts like this, uh, the Kichi people don't use the term mythology for what the Popovu uh, recounts. Uh, this is, according to the Maya, the history of their people. Yes. So keeping that in mind going into the story. Awesome. Um, so when it comes to the Maya narrative, the origin of many natural and cultural phenomena is told with the moral aim of defining the ritual relationship between mankind and the environment. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, of yeah. course. So when I say that, I mean, hey, when we're telling these stories, it explains what, like, it puts into perspective what the human being's role in the environment and in the world and in the sky is. You know exactly. I mean? Like, I mean, and isn't that what we... Th- 
ask when we turn to stories. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is, who am I and what is my place here? Yes. And also, why is the sun rising? Why do the seas move yeah. it the way they do? That sort of thing. Exactly. So, mythology has always been about explaining the world around you. Mm-hmm. So the, the Maya do a really interesting job uh, in portraying that. Mm, can't wait. Uh, so what we'll see is an explanation for the origins of the heavenly bodies, the mountains, weather, animals, corn, diseases, and even societal inventions. I love all those things. I know. All those things are so good. <gasps> so we also talked about that a lot in the Inanna episode when we, we were did. talking about the meh. But first we start with the creation of the world as described with the Pulpavu. Uh, and also the end of it. End of the world. Yeah. Oh no. So, are we going to get into that whole prophecy situation? Uh, no. We're not going to talk about that. Okay. That's a little bit too complicated for what we're going to be talking about today. First, the earth was created by the wind of the sea and sky. The book of Kilam Balam of uh, Chumaye relates the collapse of the sky and deluge, followed by the raising of the sky and the erection of the five world trees. So it starts with the world being created by the wind of the sea and sky, and then it relates the collapse of the sky into a deluge. And that's how the world ends. Of rain? Yeah. Or like everything. Of like everything. Sky breaking and everything mm-hmm. falls everything down. Everything falls apart. And then the sky is risen again when these five world trees grow. That's awesome. And that's a, a way more kind of like naturalistic version of something like Ragnarok that mm-hmm. we discussed in our uh, Norse two-parter. Yep. Where like the the earth has a cycle and a life and a death just like everybody else does. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's pretty cool. I like the idea of just like water and sky existing yeah. before land, you know? I do, uh, I do too. And uh, if we're, we're going to talk a lot about um, Western creation myths versus um, these non-Western creation myths. So Western here defined as European yes. and the places that Europeans conquered. Yes. What are us white people would call Western. Yes. Yes. Um, but we'll, we'll talk a lot about the similarities, but also the major differences between the two. Sure. Um, but much like this story, uh, the creation of the world starts with just the waters above and below. Yeah. And then the separation in which other things can inhabit the existence. And, you know, I, I have this image, you know, we've said, mentioned before that Julia and I grew up on a, on a town sort of right near the beach. Um, and so being able to like walk out there, drive out there, whatever, and, and kind of take personal time just looking out at the water yeah um you know when you stand on the shore with like the waves at your feet and look out and all you see is sky and water yeah. like doesn't that feel like the beginning or the end of something it right does. like absolutely land is behind you you don't see your own feet you know you, you don't see the the sand beneath you mm-hmm. and instead um you just look out and it feels primordial and so to have a creation myth that so vividly like brings up that image mm-hmm. of the forces of sea and sky meeting to, to kind of make something at the horizon point. Like that looks just like a point from which, you know, land can, can burst for the right. first time. It feels like all of existence is stretched out in front of you when yeah. you stand like that. Or all of potentiality, yes. you know? I like that. Ugh. Oof. From there, the creator gods attempt to create beings that have hearts and minds that could keep the days, quote unquote, uh, or in other words, could invoke worship and remember the gods. But the interesting part of the story and the main story that we're going to be telling in this is the fact that it takes four tries to get it right. Ooh, I love a myth where people try and fail and then get it right. Yeah. So actually, I want to just take a moment to talk about how so many early mythologies have very human-like anthropomorphic gods. Yes. 
Um, so like you and I being raised uh, in the Catholic Church, uh, there are so many depictions of the Christian God as uh, omniscient, omnipresent, and all-powerful. Yes. Uh, but there's actually a really interesting insight to early Judaism when you read the Bible. In certain parts of Genesis, God is able to smell things. God mm. cannot locate Adam and Eve in the garden, that sort of thing. Yeah, walking among the creation, right? Mm-hmm. He very much has a human interaction or a human-like interaction and is is seen as very anthropomorphized yeah like a lived experience yeah like uh it says in the bible god enjoyed the smell of uh like cooked meat Hmm. like that's that's a thing that is said about god because he is down there smelling things he's not just smelling all things at once he's smelling the cooked meat that is being offered to him yeah and and for you know as like tactile as catholic worship can be you know there's a lot of like rising standing kneeling sitting um smelling incense you know tasting bread and and wine and things like that the idea of god is so far removed Mm -hmm. like we are very much not of the protestant tradition that god is a personal and and personally experienced thing yeah um and and for us it's very much like through ritual you know we can communicate with and get a sense of um god and so you know having that be my standard that i was raised in Mm -hmm. um you know any any kind of story or depiction or even like westworld you know where you have anthony hopkins like walking through the world that he put together yeah and like touching the flowers and tasting the food i love um that's a really good comparison thank you thank you but it just like it just it it's so incredible to imagine that like you know a uh, it, it just it boggles the mind like it shouldn't be you know that that the creator of, of a realm can like walk among the realm uh, it, it just sort of defies logic and it's really dope right so my my question is and I guess we can answer it at the end of the story why did early humans prefer the idea that gods are like us right. but also I, I'm curious as to why you think uh, many religions moved away from the anthropomorphic god the god like us yeah, I mean, my my hypothesis, if we're going to be really scientific about this, Don't my hypothesis on. is that as human beings started to take power and be proxies for gods on Earth, uh, the idea of God as a peer was a threat. And so mm. being able to abstract your ruling authority and say that they, you know, have powers too big for us to understand in a realm that we haven't lived in, uh, in a way that their, you know, experience and actions are either mediated through the ruler or just kind of sporadic, like locusts, right, or plagues or stuff like that. Um, that's that's my kind of hypothesis is like human beings started to take on more offices and, and like rules that had previously been delegated to the divine. Interesting. So the argument being that if God becomes all powerful, he has more authority. Yeah. And if, if God is unknowable and inscrutable and you have to access him through ritual and institutions, mm-hmm. um, those are all things that human beings can control. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. We talked in the Inanna episode about um, that kind of like divine gift of self-rule mm-hmm. that Inanna gave, you know, to her people. Yeah. And also that like John Locke promises, you know, and it kind <laughs> yeah, of talks yeah. about how, you know, self-rule is, is divine. Um, and even that, you know, that, that's kind of more optimistic way to say, you know, we don't need God to be like a, a peer. We can do that for ourselves and, uh, you know, kind of export to and outsource the, the, the mystical and the stuff we don't understand to, to some other thing that is not like us and that can solve problems we can't solve and give answers that we can't give. So hmm. that's my guess. I like it. And we'll talk a little bit more about this at the end of the All episode. Right. But uh, let's let's get to the story. I'm a little let's bit wine drunk attempts. and I'm ready for the story. I know you are. I love it. <laughs> So the first effort that the gods do is create animals and living creatures, as well as birds and flying life forms. 
adorable. adorable. I love this taxonomy. But because animals cannot talk, they were unable to worship the gods in the way that the gods wanted. Okay, that's a self-invented problem, gods. <laughs> that's a self-invented problem. Well, a lot of the problems here are self-invented. You'll see. I mean, definitionally, I guess they invented all things, including problems. Exactly. But okay. Yes, they did. Um, <laughs> and so the gods consider their first effort a failure because the animals can't worship them. So what happened? Uh, seeing the that the animals weren't going to make the cut for their worship, they started the human experiment. Oh, no. <laughs> um, the first thing they did was create humans from earth and mud in order to make their bodies. Mm, those golem vibes, though. Yes. Also, uh, in certain stories in Genesis, God kneels onto the ground and creates Adam out of the earth. Clay, right? Yeah. yeah. And then Eve from the rib, which is not uh, a way to, to do sociology in the 21st century. Only one of the stories, though. Yep. There's a story where he just snaps her fing- his fingers and she's there. There so, is. That's good. Um, but the problem with earth and mud is that each time that they tried to animate the humans, their bodies would fail, simply dissolving and disintegrating and were unable to stay together. Oh, it's kind of sad. That is sad, but also sort of like, I've been there too. Like I have tried to make little, you know, figures that stand up out of straws and then the straw gets wet and then it falls over you know like it's it's such a like wonderful kind of image of like divine forces mm-hmm. um playing in a in a new realm by the new realm's rules mm-hmm. you know uh like if you can summon land out of water and sky and gravity comes into effect right and like all the other forces yeah you're, you're like, like oh, oh, fuck, damn this, fuck. this human uh, doesn't work yeah. anymore <laughs> i broke it. it it makes me laugh i like it uh jake and i have been binge watching gotham lately yeah because we're big comic book nerds you are um confirmed but uh they just introduced the character with uh, mr freeze yes uh do you know anything about mr freeze i know that in the flash he's played by the prison break guy that's captain cold okay mm-hmm Mr. So Mr. Freeze in the films that you might know was played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. The backstory for Mr. Freeze was invented like in 1994, I want to say, from the Batman animated series. And uh-huh. it's actually one of the like few animated shorts like that that won an Emmy. Huh. Like it's a beautiful storytelling. But basically Mr. Freeze is a scientist who um, his wife is dying slowly of like a degenerative disease. Oh, shit. So his goal is to freeze her so that he can find the cure and then bring her back to life and cure her. Uh, On Gotham, he's about to do that until uh, she like switches out the formula so that her body dissolves instead of freezing the way it's supposed to she wanted to go yeah she wanted to yeah. go uh so i've been thinking a lot about that when we we're talking about this story wow jewel's very dark yeah thank sorry. you for that image you're welcome <laughs> always a pleasure um so the gods failed and so they next chose to incorporate wood into the bodies of the humans so it's wood yes and also mud and earth we are so far following the development of human dwellings as well yes so the gods finally succeed and the first man is created Ooh. Uh, so here's a great quote, actually, from the Popavu for this moment. Okay. Um, they came into being. They multiplied. They had daughters. They had sons. These mannequins, wood carvings. But there was nothing in their hearts and nothing in their minds. No memory of their mason and builder. <gasps> they just went and walked wherever they wanted. Now they did not remember the heart of the sky. Oh, man. Yeah. What language? That's beautiful. It's really, really pretty. And via translation, too. Like, I, yeah. I can't imagine the um, that moment in an oral storytelling oh, tradition. Yeah, you know, like, ugh. No, and I really, I like the idea of they're, they're just these 
beings that are walking around and I love the line they had no memory of their mason and builder that absolutely stood out to me not just because my family are masons and builders I knew that would but help. yeah like it it really oh man I love that so much and I'm not somebody who believes in god but I imagine and I have read things that talk about the unenlightened right mm-hmm. or like the people who haven't seen the the truth or who haven't accepted God or who haven't, you know, in Westworld realized that it's all a, <laughs> so many wow, this is just, I'm just leaning in. Episode. I'm just leaning in who haven't realized that it's all a game. Um, that, that is a, a kind of simulation of reality. And well, in Gotham, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but point being, those people are also walking around without knowledge of their Mason and builder. Yeah. Um, like per those, those kinds of uh, perspectives. Mm-hmm. And, it is so kind of beautiful to imagine early humanity as like achieving that sort of actualization, you yeah. know, and like perspective. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Mine's got it right. Yeah. So even though the gods had successfully created a living thing, they were not capable of worshiping the gods in the way that the gods wanted. Sure. I mean, not under maybe not understanding or knowing about or being able to conceive of right. the kind of larger context. Because the gods were so discontent with their creation, they destroyed humanity in a great flood. Sounds okay. familiar. Lots of floods, man. Yeah. Lots of I'd you know, one of those things, questions that you would ask God if God actually exists. What's with the floods, man? Was what there was one? With the floods? Was there many? Was it a story? Huh? Oh. Come on. I think something I think something had to have happened, you know? I mean everybody experiences great, you know. Right. Once in a you're you're bound no matter where you live, there's gonna be a great flood at some point. Mm-hmm. But not like a great, great flood. Right. Right. Not that's, like tsunami. That's why I have to assume that I know. something happened. I know. And like I surely would be able to tell with geology, like we know when ice ages happened, how about giant floods? But maybe that is an ice age and people didn't live long enough to see it become icy, just mm-hmm. watery. Maybe. That's Archaeologists, something. geologists get at us. Get at us. So another interesting part of this story in the Popobu is the fact that monkeys survived as the only descendants of the third effort to create man. Makes so much sense because yeah. they are very close to us. Yes. Um, but they're not capable of worship. So. I mean, I'm Not that we know, at least. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't study monkey sociology, so I don't know. Yeah. I, I wonder, man, I wonder all the time what animals are thinking. Anyway. Who's, this that, who's that woman who lived with the gorillas for so long? Jane Goodall? Yeah. yeah. I, I envy her. I had a book on her that I was like just you. I remember into. that. And I, I'm sure that either you bought that or I bought the same book for my brother Austin when he was first learning to read, didn't mm-hmm. really care for reading, but that was a book that he was really into. Mm-hmm. She was cool. She I like her cool. a lot. Now, I'll get to the rest of the story, Amanda, but first, I need a refill, and this mezcal is not going to fill itself. This week, we are sponsored by RX Bar. Julia, what are RX Bars? RX Bars are a whole food protein bar. So what does that mean? That means that their bars are made with 100% whole ingredients. They are transparent and upfront with their customers, and they label all of their core ingredients, egg whites, dates, and nuts on the front of the package, and the ingredients that make up the texture and taste on the back. So like 100% real cacao, coconut, etc. Like all these really delicious and pure and cool foods. Yeah, they're really well designed. The front is just like a pretty color that sort of indicates the flavor, like raspberry, blueberry, maple, etc. And then they list what's on it. And as a former vegan who found it really, really hard to, you know, buy things in stores because you look on the back and it's like any of these just bizarre ingredients could potentially be an animal product. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing something that's like, hey, uh, hello, like we are eggs and dates. I'm like, oh, thank God. Thank you so much. Good to know. Good to know. And it turns out that eating just 
just like actual real food uh, tastes very good. So yeah. like you can taste the fruit or the spices. Like there's one with sea salt in it. And you know that I love me some sea salt. The maple sea salt. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's that so actually good. would go really well with the mezcal we're drinking. That's true. Yeah. And I think maybe something fruity as well, like a raspberry or a blueberry, Ooh, depending yeah. on if you mix the mezcal with something mm-hmm. or maybe even the coconut. That Ooh, would be the cool, coconut would be good. Yeah. Kind of like fruit pairing. But, you know, in addition to eating them with your BFF while recording podcasts, uh, they're also great if you're on the go, if you're in the office. I have one in my bag all the time mm-hmm. and I just restock it when I get home if I've eaten it during the day, um, whether I'm like running between appointments or I have meetings and I have to like, you know, jump on the subway and um, and just eat something in the middle. I try to eat actual, you know, meals when I can. Yeah. But listen, if you're in a pinch, sometimes you just need one. Right. Sometimes you just want to crunch down on one right before you get to the gym or something like that. I always go to the gym before I eat dinner so it's always nice to have something in my stomach for my you know body to burn before my workout so these are perfect for that i use it almost every day exactly and i hear that egg white protein is actually like easy for your body to absorb so you won't get like tummy troubles you know if uh you're on the go and eating something real quick you you know all about tummy troubles i do i do (laughs) griffin mcelroy and i just live that ibs life i'm so sorry you know we're here for it but if you want to join our cool cool club of rx bar having Ladies on the go. Yeah. You can get some at rxbar.com slash spirits and enter the promo code spirits at checkout. These are in stores, various places, but you can get a quarter off, 25% off. You can stock up, put a box in your car, put a box in your house, you know, give it to, like I said earlier, your roller derby team, mm-hmm. your, your skeleton team. Skeleton scares me. The winter Olympics just ended. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm mourning it a little bit. Your figure skating team. Your figure skating team. That also scares me though. Cause like when they make the little landings, I feel like they're going to uh, just fall over. I'm scared. Did you watch the men's figure skating? Yeah. By the way, Dang. it's too gay for me to miss. It's so, so good. good. So good. Oh, man. But anyway, <laughs> RX bars are available at rxbar.com slash spirits. And then that code is spirits for 25% off. Make sure you use it so that they know that you came from us. Yeah. Have and some snacks. now, snacks in hand, mezcal refilled. Let's get back to the show. So the fourth and final effort is where things get interesting. So the gods take corn. Yep. And mix it with water to create the flesh of humans. Mm. But like any good story, there was another problem. I'll quote again from the Popovu for this. This time, the beings shaped by the gods are everything that they hoped for and more. Not only do the first four men pray to their makers, but they have perfect vision and therefore perfect knowledge. So why do they have to pray? Exactly. So there's the problem. The gods wanted to create beings that would worship them, but not something that would have the ability to potentially become like the gods themselves. Oh, this, I mean, just casually hitting at the the real crux of humanity here, mind creation. Yeah. Ugh. So they devised two ways of limiting their abilities to just worship. Okay. Uh, They put fog in the human's eyes, taking away their perfect vision and therefore knowledge. Yep. They also gave the first four men a wife each. And these couples would lead to the creation of the Kiche lineages. Hmm. And so how did that alter their perfect knowledge? They were just distracted. Oh, because okay. Because they, they had other humans to interact with and stuff. And then had huh. babies and children and, and whatnot. And life happens. Yeah, yeah, life happens. Huh. That's like, you know, when, when you get married, you know, life is pretty pretty basic. The same idea, basically, as when you're dating someone. And then you have a baby and then everything changes. That's what I hear. That's what I hear too. (laughs) And then you just start worshiping the gods and don't become your full potential. (laughs) 
you go, yeah, I mean, huh. I read an article yesterday about like women's career ambitions changing after uh, marrying children and like the gendered labor that you know me. that mm-hmm. uh, that that necessitates having a family. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> everything else is new again. <laughs> Just like hyperventilating over here. It's fine. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> I feel like I'm making it seem like I'm gonna have a baby. I'm not having a baby anytime soon. <laughs> Just for getting married at some point, yeah. sometime. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I actually we had a, a listener emailed us recently um, to say that she was a little bit disappointed we were talking about saggy boobs in I think the Mami Wata episode, and then we were like, oh man, saggy boobs. I don't know. And like to be clear boobs of all kinds are incredible oh yeah yeah i'm just looking forward to my future and aging mm-hmm. and that's one part of it mm-hmm. and aging terrifies me yes not like the aged body but the fact that i'm gonna die one day and yeah. like that is what i mean when i say like huh. yeah no i i agree with that actually yesterday yesterday was valentine's day it was and jake uh, and at I, the time of recording yes uh and jake and i were like getting ready for bed and all of a sudden i just start clawing through my hair and pulling out gray hairs and jake is like what are you doing i'm like i'm pulling out the gray hairs he's like they're not even there i'm like i can see them they're physically here he's like you're fine it's okay yeah i'm a fan of of asking uh hypotheticals like you know will you love me if i have gray hair yeah yeah yeah. or like would you love me if if like half my skin was gone Like, would we date if I was transfigured into a pancake? Would we date if I was transfigured into one of those Aquaman in season two of Buffy? The swim team boys. They turn into like mer- like like a uh, creature from that that fish movie. Creature from the Black Lagoon? No, the other, the new one. The, the, it's the same fucking creature, but okay. Whatever, yeah, 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 yeah. that one. Shape of Water. Shape of Water. I like that movie, but yeah, like, yes. like, like, would we date if I was that creature? Like, I don't know, maybe. I would still be your friend if we, you were that creature. Thank you, thank you. Anyway, uh, if you ask enough hypothetical questions, then people will love you forever. Yep, that's true. <laughs> or at least they'll agree to until it actually happens. <laughs> love. At least we know that our love is unconditional. I know, baby. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Let's get philosophical because that's the end of the story. Oh, please. So a couple of things that I like about this story and would like to discuss. Yeah. Bit. What does it say about a civilization that the gods had to experiment so much to create human beings? Do th- does that mean that human beings are more valued because it took so many tries to get them just right? Or does it put human beings in sort of a lower light because they're they're this imperfect process? In your opinion. Yeah. I mean, my first instinct was to feel like humanity is a little bit cheapened mm-hmm. because we are like intentionally handicapped by the gods. Yes. I agree with that. Because, you know, we like to imagine that we are kind of uh, flawed creatures, like striving for more mm-hmm. and striving for like some hypothetical, uh, you know, ideal. I think that that might be a kind of Christian belief, like you're born with original sin. Um, I mentioned and, that in my uh, notes. Excellent. Uh, and and not that like like there is an ideal that you could achieve, but instead humanity, you know, is is tragically flawed, and you have to like mm-hmm. redeem to you know make to like make your most self possible. And 
I just like like the narrative that like we are born with what we have and we can try despite ourselves to transcend those parts to me is really motivating. Yeah. But on the other hand, to learn that like I am like version 2.0 of a thing that was too good. 4.0. And, <laughs> or yeah, exactly. A 4.0 and 3.0 is actually too good. Mm-hmm. And I can't be good enough to be a peer with that that created me. But instead I am like, it's like playing with a, a laser with a cat. Yes. You know, like, or like pretending to throw a ball for a dog, but not actually throwing it. Right. And, and I don't know, like, like there's no way for the creature to win. Like there's, there's no way for me to win if I was created as a thing that definitionally can't be on par with the gods. And now I'm realizing that makes me sound like I, I want to win at life, which I don't. I just want to like be here and have a pretty good time and make a good impact on the world. But uh, yeah, that, that was my first reaction at least. Well, that's not making you seem like you want to win at life. That's making you seem like you want humanity as a whole to get better, to get Yeah, it's to potential. Right, exactly. But if, if we are created not to, not to be the highest possible like elevation of stuff, uh, then like, I don't know, that, that's a little bit demoralizing. Well, okay, here's a counterpoint that just from the way I see it, I think that we have the potential to be those things that sure. if we, you know, and the gods, you know, the gods are fickle in a lot of the mythology that we talk about. Yeah. The gods could decide, oh, you know what? We we actually, we do want the humans to be We're at lonely. our level again. We're and they take playmates. away our fog and we become their equals yeah that's always a possibility you know what i mean that's true like it's 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 been it's been done like 3.0 was there and we know that there is at least the possibility it's like it's a what what's her face in uh, runaways taking off her bracelet oh uh carolina yeah yeah it's like carolina just ascending to her awesome rainbow badass lesbian that she is right and so what i'm viewing as like a hard ceiling of 3.0 could do it but 4.0 never could you're saying like no there's evidence that there is like another plane of existence that should we you know try hard together to advance is possible yeah and it's it's like the glass ceiling Mm. we can break it there is a ceiling there but we can't get past it yeah it's true and it seems impossible but actually it's just like structural yeah the gods have set up a structural, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, handicap. Yeah, that we we can potentially overcome. You don't know, you don't know. Interesting. Yeah, isn't that weird? And it, I mean, there is so much here also about like I don't know the tragedy of humanity, sure. right? Is that like we we know enough to know that it's sad that we die. Like we know enough to know that we can't be perfect. We know enough to know that like when we accept love that the other person is flawed and there's risk and like we're just going to do our best together Mm -hmm. um and it's like like that kind of curse of awareness yeah it's the um it's the allegory of the cave exactly yeah right which if our listeners don't know the idea of the allegory of the cave it's uh about realization like a human's ability to realize more and more as more information is granted to them. Yeah. Um, I guess we could we could talk about that. Or I'll link I'll link in the description about the allegory of the cave. But Yeah, it's... and also reminds me of a book by C. S. Lewis, who mm-hmm. wrote the Narnia Chronicles or Chronicles of Narnia. But also um I like the Nar- Narnia Chronicles, the spin off series. <laughs> the reboot. <laughs> it's it's the T V reboot, yeah. Uh but also wrote a number of really interesting books about Christianity um, that helped me as an adult who had kind of moved past the Christianity I was raised in, but wanted to understand Christianity as, you know, other people experience it and yeah. like just like what what that would be like to learn about it for the first time. Um, read those books and they really, really helped me kind of see things in a new light and um, and have a little bit more kind of patience and respect for people who 
live like that yeah for people who have that belief system as a as a part of their life yeah um but anyway he has like a really elaborate kind of metaphor for somebody realizing that the world is like bigger and bigger and more complex and more complex and life is like you know like a picture a person like rising up in a balloon like seeing how much smaller the thing that they thought was the whole world is yeah um it's a really beautiful uh kind of book involving a bus like like a bus going up into the sky Mm -hmm. anyway it's it's really good and i will uh include a link in the description that's awesome uh so kind of the last thought i want to touch on is the sort of an interesting topic that i like to think about how does the creation myth reflect how we view humanity so how does a society's creation myth reflect how they view humanity? So, for example, since we talk about Christianity and Catholicism before, we have the story of the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Um, and because of the misdeeds of Adam and Eve, we know that Christians or at least Catholics believe that humans are inherently sinful. We are born with original sin. So And the tendency towards sin. Right. And that through effort and allegiance, and, you know, right behavior and the help of institutions and others and society and your mm-hmm. family and, and, you know, whatnot, um, you can overcome human, like humanity's default state, which is sinful. Right. And you can achieve, you know, uh, perfection. Right. So the argument in this situation would be that. Not perfection. Is- perfection is God. You can achieve God, God likeness. Okay. Um, that's, that's a fair uh, correction. So my argument in this would be that Christianity believes that human beings are inherently evil because we are born with sin. We tend, we tend towards sin and we have to make an effort in order to be non-sinful to, you know, to act towards uh, godliness. That varies widely between different kinds of Christianity. But I'm talking about talking about the kind that we grew up in specifically, because I mean, you could argue that like human beings were born perfect and then the original human being sinned. And Mm -hmm. so that's just like a a taint that's cast on all of his descendants. Right. But now all of all human beings are. Right. And so so the question is, like, is then the human as a creation of God? That is a perfect creation. But, you know. A, a person messed up and now we are like cast in that shadow you, you know you know like but the, like are we perfect then because that human being exactly right right mm-hmm. if the if the bug was in the mainframe like right. you know is is it perfect and that lends itself towards the uh the anthropomorphic god like we talked about earlier yeah. because if there there was a mistake that this creature wasn't born or wasn't created perfectly yeah then whose fault is that yeah yeah we're getting yeah. deep in here no and and like i mean we we mentioned in our jane Eyre episode with with vanessa zoltan that uh kind of the question of suffering is where a lot of it's like that that's where like the rubber meets the road yeah. in terms of like talking about faith mm-hmm. because any worldview has to reckon with the fact that there is suffering in the world yeah um and you know is any god that could create suffering necessarily evil or neglectful, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, like there's so many questions that come up um, with that idea that you know, can a can a good thing make evil? And I would say, from a like human point of view, a lot of the parables we tell and a lot of the stories that you know live on um, have to do with the kind of tragedy of like everybody doing their best, but together through ignorance or miscommunication or greed or just like fate or bad luck, um, bad things come of it. Gift of the Magi, I think, is a good example, which I always see as, like, the importance of communication in a relationship. Yeah. But uh, also, like, people can do their best and then, like, bad things happen anyway. Right. And so, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know where that leaves us. I, I guess the question next would be, from what I told you about the Mayan creation story, do the Mayans believe that 
people are inherently good, that humanity is inherently good or perfect, or it's that humanity is, uh, you know, bad? I don't think that's a question for me to answer, yeah. um, you know, but like looking at it from the outside, mm-hmm. I love especially that this um, that this creation story contains some, something that's not enough, right? Yeah. Like so the animals, you know, weren't capable of acknowledging worshiping the gods. Mm-hmm. Um, what was 2.0? The dirt people. <laughs> Right, not not couldn't stand up to the elements and mm. disintegrated. Uh, three was too perfect for. Well, three was uh, wood, so that they stopped disintegrating, and then four was perfect humans, and then they just put fog over their eyes. Oh, I thought I thought three was imperfect, was too perfect humans, and they were like shut that down. But we 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 are the perfect ones that then got sort yes. of a layer added. Yeah. Okay, we right. we got we got like. We were too perfect, so they put a glitch in our system. Yeah, and I appreciate the clarification. But I love that there is like that, like the the pendulum swung to both ends of mm-hmm. the of the arc, yeah. and then settled somewhere in the middle. Like, whoosh. Exactly. And so often, like I I talk about this a lot in artistic stuff. Like we'll I'll say to you, or you'll say to me sometimes. You know, if nobody ever has any kind of like criticism of the stuff we put out into the world, we're probably not trying hard enough. Right. Um. Or if you know you never fail at anything you ever do you probably aren't trying big enough things yeah like it it takes failure to understand where your limits actually are and so that's the thing that i try to embody at work a lot is like if i never take on a project that i don't know how to do i am not learning quickly enough you know like Mm -hmm. like i'm I'm not i'm not stretching myself enough um and so to bring it back to the kind of societal level Mm -hmm. uh it's just it's very cool to think that like it's not about some kind of objective you know, top of the pyramid or like end of the line, or it's not about like advancing our abilities as far as it can possibly go. Like there is value to being somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, and like whether that means the most entertaining for the gods, right. Mm-hmm. Or the most like, um, you know, worshipful, but non-challenging to yeah. the gods. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know enough to know how, how those gods are characterized and, and obviously like what mm-hmm. their motivations are. But as a human being, like I, I don't know. I I do a lot of work like in therapy and in my life to try to accept the fact that like flaws and uncertainty and powerlessness is a part of the human experience that we can't eradicate. Mm-hmm. And if we did, it would be really boring. Yeah. And that is like, that is what makes us human. That's what I love about our stories. That's what we love about the, the you know, hero's journey where the hero like doesn't want to do something, is called to action, you know, tries, fails, tries again, succeeds. Like that is so, I think, like coded in our DNA to mm-hmm. be so satisfying. Yeah. Because um, we are just self-aware enough to know how inadequate we are, you yeah. know, in a lot of ways. And you know, making peace with that, like that's the mission of being human. Right. And I kind of, I like the idea of, there's something comforting about the ideas. We were created for a specific thing. Yeah. And we were too good for it. Yeah. (laughs) And then so, so now we are, we are exactly where we're supposed to be doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Like, well, if I were perfect, you know, that, that would be wrong. That wouldn't be what I was here for. Yeah. It's, it's the, um, if every, uh, pork chop was perfect, we wouldn't have hot dogs. What? Yeah. Is that a saying? Yes, it is. No, it's not. If every pork chop was perfect, we wouldn't have hot dogs. I do not believe that. I think that's a thing that you experience in your family and no one else says. You can Google it. It's a thing. Listeners, get in touch. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone can fight me on it. I hear what you say, though, like, you know, and and so I have a tattoo that says love the questions themselves, mm-hmm. quote from Rilke, and I'm getting another one soon 
that says um, no feeling is final. And so to me, those are two really kind of complementary thoughts. The first of which is like periods of uncertainty and uh, failure and casting about for like direction and meaning and hope, etc. Um, that isn't just like stuff that you fast forward through to yeah, get to your real life. life. It is still life. And there is still like, you know, even if the feelings in your body aren't good, they're still feelings. And that still means that you're here and alive and like yeah. living and, and not, you know, completely devoid of, you know, humanity and living, which to me is how I experienced depression, right? right. It is like, is like really kind of numb. Um, and so to me, it's, it's a reminder that even in moments where I'm like, what do I do? There are so many, <laughs> you know, that's like, that is, that is still life. It's not like a crisis moment that removes me from my life. Like that is the business of living. Like that is where we get down to it. Yeah. That's where we're like in the, in the like mud pit wrestling, you know? Um, <laughs> sure. And then the, the sentiment that no feeling is final is like, that will also end. Mm -hmm. And, you know, good feelings will, bad feelings will, hope will, despair will, yeah. you know, it's, it's just a question of like, I need to trust that the next feeling will come yeah. and that's too shall pass. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that I will be, you know, equipped to handle it when it does yeah. and just being a little bit trusting in my future self mm -hmm. instead of paranoid and fearful and protective. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like to me, that is what's valuable and that's, what's mm -hmm. fun. And that's what I love getting to know other people in life and through stories you know, is um, how everybody deals with their particular skills and burdens. Yeah. Um, and, and like, that's what art is, is like making sense of that impulse. Yeah. And so if we were all so perfect that we needed to, you know, that, that like we were at the same level as the gods, right. you know, presumably the gods are creating the world for a reason. Like mm -hmm. we never talk about that, right? Like, like yeah. what, what causes the gods to do all of this? Yeah. And, and in some cases it's love. To and be worshipped some cases it's to be worshipped some cases it's um you know it's not even addressed mm -hmm. uh but i think that the sort of implication there is like if you achieve perfection there's nothing else to fix in yourself or in the world yeah you have to make a little microcosm and kind of you know give that gift unto others and kind of see how they deal with slightly different circumstances than your own mm -hmm. and you know as much as i admire anthony hopkins uh all white uh linen suits Westworld. i uh i think i'm happy to be you know, a, a chess piece in someone else's chess board yeah. uh, and to, you know, tell my own stories in art. But um, I don't I don't want to achieve perfection, yeah. you know, like sometimes you don't have to be the most significant person in the room and that's OK. I super don't. I want to like stand on the side with a glass of punch, yeah. shit talking with you yeah. and like admiring everybody else Hell and yeah. just looking at their stories and being like, God damn, everybody there is a little universe mm -hmm. and I will never know what it's like inside their head, but I can damn well try. Damn right. Damn right. I think, I think that's all we can say on this topic at the moment. Yeah. And the next time you're at a dance and you're looking at everybody there and you're thinking about the fact that like each person is having a lived human experience that's as vibrant as your own. And mm -hmm. then you're never, ever going to be able to plug into that matrix and experience their life. And like, yeah. holy fuck, there are 8 billion of us. Remember to stay creepy and stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Spirits Podcast. We also have all our episodes, collaborations, and guest appearances, plus merch on our website, spiritspodcast.com. Come on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. 
Throw us as little as $1 and get access to audio extras, recipe cards, director's commentaries, and patron-only live streams. And hey, if you like the show, please share us with your friends. That is the best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time. Bye.